This is the Idea Time Show, Idea Time Show with Dr. Joe North, helping facilitators expand their creativity, confidence, and impact through the power of innovation in action. Gain confidence as a facilitator, confidence with the technology, and confidence with your content and event design. Tune in every week for practical tips, strategies and interviews that will accelerate your personal and business success. And now, here's your host, Dr. Jo North. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Idea Time podcast, where I'm joined today by Richard Hall, who leads a fantastic innovation business called PDM. And this time, Richard is actually just up the road from me in Thursk. So I'm going to let Richard introduce himself. He's got loads of things to tell us about innovation, about engaging and getting creative thinking going through lockdown, and about how companies have pivoted and changed what they've been doing to respond to new challenges and opportunities. So there's loads to talk about. Big welcome, Richard. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. And thanks for the invite to join the podcast. Very excited to have a chat about what we do and how we've done it and kind of my experience as well. So yeah, thanks very much. Well, we're sitting here in very, very sunny North Yorkshire today. So it's a real delight to have you on the show. Can you tell us what you've been up to today? What have you been working on? So we've got a, a really busy project at the moment. We are working with um, on a COVID-related project. So I was down at, believe it or not, Lands End Airport yesterday for a meeting with the ground crew and the pilots about a project related to COVID, which I can't tell you too much about. Since then, we've come back and all of the team at PDM have been working on various aspects of the project because it's a time-sensitive project that we're working on. Recovering from that yesterday and today just implementing, you know, putting together an action plan with the team, working out who's going to do what, doing some creative designs, doing some 3D prints and then creating a PDF to discuss with the client later on this evening. Sounds awesome, sounds that. And what a beautiful day yesterday to be in, in Land's End. And so tell everybody what you do then. Tell us what PDM is all about. We are, in its very broadest sense, we call ourselves an innovation agency, which sounds very kind of uh, nondescript, but what we are not is a product design consultancy, and we are not an engineering consultancy, and we're not a prototyping consultancy. We're kind of all of those. So uh, a typical project for us would be to get involved in the very, very early stages of a project in terms of research to understand what the nature of the project is that the client is trying to deliver and getting under the skin of that project in terms of validating the efficacy of the idea and then kind of workshopping how we would take it forward. And then moving from that, you know, we do get involved in product ideation and and prototyping, but we then take it all the way through. We work with focus groups in terms of independent assessment of innovations that we've worked on. We work with manufacturers in terms of optimization of the projects, uh, how to value engineer things. We work with regulatory compliance notified bodies. They're the organizations which will give a CE mark and basically carry out an independent risk assessment of the project to endorse it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get involved in you know, disseminating the information, so creating IP, intellectual property for the client. So it's kind of a full life cycle from start to finish and I think it would give us a disservice if we said we were a product design agency we don't really work on projects where 
a client gives us a design brief and then we prescriptively design something and then make a prototype because design is from start to finish. I think a lot of people are seeing the value of design. It's not about making a product look pretty. It's about design thinking. So it's all about kind of validating innovations all the way through the process sounds, sounds brilliant i mean i know what you do is brilliant i've seen some of the projects and I've, I've, I've worked with you in different ways before so i know you do a great job and it's really fascinating what you do as well and i think regardless of what our listeners are doing so we have listeners around the world doing all sorts of, of things they're interested in facilitation they're interested in innovation and thinking differently and I think you know, there's lots we can draw from having you on the show today, Richard. So how did you actually get into that? Let's cut back to, let's cut back to 1986, uh, if we can. I enjoyed design and technology at school and didn't think I was clever enough to do A-level. So I managed to get an engineering apprenticeship with Rolls-Royce. Then when I finished my apprenticeship, did a, a degree in industrial design and have now got 30 years plus experience in industry of design and manufacture, working in various countries. So I've worked in UK, Europe, Eastern Europe, US and China. So working with various organisations. And then in 2005, kind of felt that I had the toolbox of skills to set up a business because there weren't, and I think probably still aren't, many businesses that can really pull off a project from very early stage research and actually physically delivering a, a, you know, a solution. I think there are companies that can do the front bit and some that can do the last bit, but not the, not the whole thing. And I think it's just down to the experience of me and, and the team, really. Yeah. You know. A great start to your career in terms of Rolls-Royce. I mean, that's, you know, there are things to be learned from that in, its, in itself. And that's a really cracking pedigree. And we met and we started working together. I was talking about the product and process innovation program that... Yeah. I facilitate for businesses on behalf of the University of York. Yeah. And uh, I was talking about that on LinkedIn. Yeah. And you connected about that. And then you've done some cracking sessions and workshops for us. So it was really nice to reconnect. So anything that innovation related really, you know, kind of pricks my ears because that's my thing. I think, you know, a bit of a sideline, innovation is, can mean many, many things to different people. So what's your definition of innovation then, Richard? I think it's really difficult. I think... I think that people can get hooked up on innovation in terms of being the next best thing that's got the most advanced technology. I think for me, innovation isn't necessarily doing something sexy. It's about doing something which is perhaps disruptive. So, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, kind of eye-catching to be innovative. I think for me, you know, I could kind of silo them in terms of disruptive innovation. So you've got the likes of you know, lots of services out there. Airbnb, for example, is an example of disruptive innovation. But disruptive doesn't necessarily need to be new. You can disrupt a market with a new technology that previously wouldn't apply to that particular industry. Um, I think innovation for me just means doing something better than what it was. And whether that's an incremental change or whether it is disruptive is, you know, I guess down to the interpretation yeah. of the... Well, it's of, a, it's on a continuum, isn't it? It's on a continuum. It's all contextual in terms of the environment that we're innovating in and you mentioned design thinking earlier mm. and I use a lot of design thinking techniques I run design thinking workshops as well and I think design thinking is seen to be quite a cool thing in many ways and I think in many ways it is 
it's sort of user-centered design, you know, putting the user or the customer at the heart of, of everything. But what's your definition of it and how do you use it? So I was asked to do a workshop on behalf of Innovate UK in Edinburgh, and maybe just before the lockdown, about design thinking and user-centered design. So it's really about understanding the, the context of the problem. So for example, design thinking for me as an example of a medical device is not necessarily to take a prescriptive design brief from a surgeon, for example. It's really to go into theatre and to see the context of the problem because that way we can see things that maybe the surgeon has misinterpreted or assumed that something that would work. I think where design thinking fails is where that people have assumed that because their way of thinking is the correct way and they haven't gone through a robust process of validating it, you know, so for example, prototyping to make sure that a product or a service isn't legitimately misused. Mm. Um, so, and I think that brings about products that are better. And I think yeah. design thinking is becoming more and more popular and understood. Definitely in the tech world, you know, I see app developers, web developers, software you know, big consultancies training, as well as small ones around the world, training their up and coming talent in design thinking uh, and design thinking workshops. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, when I talk, talk about, you know, for example, a tech company that have got a really, really cool tech, you know, it's got AI and it's got circuit boards and it's got sensors, et cetera, et cetera. And they get really kind of excited about the technology which they've developed. And what I tend to do is kind of burst their balloon and say, your customers, they're interested in what the product does. You know, it's, it's a given that the product will perform as you anticipate, but it's the interpretation of that technology in the real world and how the users engage with it. So usually you've got five or six kind of trigger points of creating a successful innovation. So for example, number one, is there a natural need for the product? You know, is it a legitimate need for the product, whether it's disruptive or, you know, it improves patient need? Number two, does your prospective customer understand that they need that particular project? So how are you going to kind of carry out, you know, the marketing to reach out to them? The third one is, you know, do they understand how to, for example, install the product? So if it's a piece of tech that they use in their home or the office or something, is the, the way that the product has been designed, does, does it communicate that confidence to somebody that it will perform as you anticipate? Uh, the next one is, you know, was it easy to use that particular project or product? And did it deliver the results that you anticipated? And then the final one is, would you use it again or recommend it to somebody else? So regardless of, of technology and AI and, you know, wearables and all the rest of it, there are fundamental principles that, you know, a, a designer must go through to understand where the trigger points are so that the innovation is, is really taken up. Because the reality is you only get one chance to innovate. Yeah, and that's a great checklist as well. So we'll get that down in the show notes as a checklist because I think whatever it is you're creating, it could be a physical product, it could be a service, it could be you know an online course or something digital. I was thinking about those questions as you were going through them and they all absolutely apply. So it's a great working checklist. And one thing I've heard you speak about and I'm familiar with, but I really like your interpretation and presentation of it is going through the innovation process when we get to that stage of the fog of uncertainty, which I think is a design council term, isn't it? So tell us about the fog of uncertainty. Okay, so there's lots of design strategies or innovation strategies that can be adopted. There's not necessarily one adopted particular strategy. 
but it was actually Innovate UK, and I think it was Design Council as well, as you say, have got something called the fog of uncertainty. You can probably Google it. So if you imagine a graph and on your Y axis is the start point, on the X axis is a timeline. So you imagine the, the time of a project from start to finish. The very kind of start of the project is called the fog of uncertainty. So if you imagine a bumblebee in a room just flying around, just very randomly, you know, trying to work out where it's going, you know, it's, it's actually okay when you start a project that's innovative to have this fog of uncertainty. I think it is a dangerous place to be if you think that you have all of the answers at the very start of a project. As a project migrates through, you know, you adopt a strategy in terms of research, insight, ideation, validation, prototyping, and generally, as your, your line moves from the left to right, it moves from, you know, kind of a bumblebee uh, in a room to a more of a kind of prescribed, you know, kind of more of a directive line. The whole idea of the fog of uncertainty is that you've got to explore lots of ideas and thoughts and processes and brainstorm and come up with silly ideas. And you've really got to be able to explore all the avenues because mm. as you come towards the end of a project, You've got to have that confidence that you have gone down all of the routes and you've explored all of the routes. So it's things like, you know, the latest materials, the latest technology, the latest process. You know, things are moving all of the time, particularly with, you know, AI and, and tech. Yeah. Actually, when designing workshops and, you know, thinking these through, I, I always design in that uncertainty. Um, some people call it the grown zone of an innovation sprint. Yeah. And in fact, somebody spoke to me yesterday, I think it was about the potentially doing you know, some workshops and they said, well, how do we work it so that we get people where we want them to be at the end of the workshop? And I said, well, we don't because that's not an innovation workshop. Yeah. You know, we, we've got to start off with the premise that actually we're going to tap into the collective wisdom and the collective creativity that we've got in the room, you know, work with our objective and see where it takes us. And it's good to be comfortable with being uncomfortable we'll come out of it at the other side and with something even more interesting exciting and useful than we would have had if we tried to control a predictable outcome yeah i think that's the issue that there is a strategy behind innovation but it's not a defined process and similarly i mean co-design is a really interesting kind of concept and that's become kind of more popular as well where you know, when you design a product, you engage with your end customer very early on. So that's a really interesting concept that people should really kind of, you know, read about and understand a bit more. Because the more you can get insight at the front end of your project in terms of understanding where the blockers are, then the higher chance of success you will have. I know it sounds obvious. You, you're right, it sounds obvious, but just because we know stuff doesn't necessarily mean that we always do it. And I think, you know, the days of squirreling away in secret to create the perfect product and then go ta-da here it is having spent a lot of time and money on it are long gone you know I think it also de-risks by involving customers earlier on you can be leaner you can get something so much more dynamic and more competitive as a result and how have you been actually engaging with customers and clients in workshops then through covid online we've got a lot of facilitators listening so we'd love to hear how you've been doing that so the start of covid i was a little bit worried actually because for us it's a lot about engaging with customers and users so for example focus groups it's actually been a positive journey for us because it's allowed us to adopt online platforms. It's made us realize that actually 
you don't necessarily have to be in front of people to extract data. So, you know, the projects that we were working on, we've continued working on them through COVID. We just had to work a bit more differently than what we did before. So, you know, in terms of that, we've just really adopted online platforms. Can I ask, I've talked about this before on previous podcasts, it's sort of like Blur versus Oasis. Are you Zoom or Microsoft Teams? We use Zoom and I don't know why as a team, that's just how we adopted it. But when I get called into meetings, you know, I get an invite from a client and that will either be Skype or Zoom or Teams or there's another one which I've forgotten about, which was also interesting. So, and what tends to happen is I have to, you know, follow all of these links and just make sure that I'm in the right room at the right time. And occasionally we do the old telephone call as well, which is interesting. And what creative technique can you share to really get people thinking differently online? A methodology for people to think about is to fail fast and fail cheap. It's completely Mm -hmm. counterintuitive to what you would kind of think about. When we work on a project, we try and kill it in a very nice way, in a metaphorical way. But what we're trying to do there is look for blockers, look for, look for weaknesses in an innovation so that we can actually address that and then make it a better product. So my advice, you know, I don't know if this is the answer to your question, but my advice is anybody out there that's got an idea or an innovation is to take your hands off the steering wheel and have a community around you, either co-design or a focus group that, that you can in confidence talk to and let them you know show them what your innovation is ideally you know a prototype for example and let them come back to you with their observations and thoughts it'd be very easy to work on a project and to do what the client says and you know create a product which is prescriptive but we don't believe that's that is not how we operate i think first and foremost we have to kind of have a level of trust with the client so that we know we can work with each other really well So, you know, that's one thing I would look at is to change your mindset rather than thinking that 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 how it's going to be successful, thinking about almost like a risk register or a force field analysis of how it could fail. And that way, give you loads of insight and it might allow you to kind of adopt or adapt your kind of train of thought. Well, what I'll do is I've got some uh, risk register templates and some force field analysis templates for use in workshops so I'll put a link to those in the show notes as well one technique I really like is to do a reverse brainstorm which is you know think about how you might break it think about ways that you know it couldn't work and then try and solve all of those or you know mitigate all of those so you can play around with that and that could be quite enjoyable it gives permission for people to speak up and say actually where they think those flaws are so there's some creative techniques for sure that I'll, I'll put some links to as well. So they're good ones. Thank you. So I think the other one is, is the so what syndrome. You know, what is innovative? Is it disruptive? Is it more cost effective? Does it give the user more ability? The so what for me is something that we kind of work on. Where, you know, depending, and it can be any, any project. You know, when I was down at Land's End on, on this project, I'm always looking for, I'm always very kind of conservative in my approach because you only get one chance to get this thing right. You know, you've got to make sure that you get all of your ducks in line. Once you've got the insight and research and you know what you're trying to innovate, then it becomes prescriptive. But it's getting to that point and having the right kind of toolbox of skills and the right team around you to make sure that you've given your innovation the best shot. One of the techniques I like when you mention so what is the so what, what now and what next. And I spell what, W-O-T. 
So you think, you know, so what? You've got a feature or something that, you know, a solution that you've thought about. Then you think, well, now what? So what do we do with that? And then what next is, and then what do we do? So it just really drives that thinking a little bit forward. You know me, I'm, I'm into, you know, things that help us think differently and look at things from different perspectives. So talking about so what, now what and what next? What next for you? Because I know you've been really busy during COVID doing lots of pivot projects and opportunity projects and so on that, you know, from the changing situation and doing some really valuable work, actually. So what yeah. next for you? The start of the COVID thing, we work a lot with uh, surgeons. So I got a late night phone call from a surgeon to say that there's a real, there's going to be a massive crisis with PPE. And this is before it really broke out. So as a business, we have pivoted and we designed and manufactured our own face shield, which we have just got CE marked. That's another strand to the business, which we are kind of promoting. So we're just knocking on the door of Department of Education for schools, for example. The COVID was a risk for lots of businesses and it's been a horrendous time. We just thought we'd turn it into an opportunity. And for example, the face shield, we had no idea where that was going to go. It was all self-funded, including the CE mark. And we just kept busy on lots of different projects. We've just got lots of stuff going on. I do consultancy work for Innovate UK. I'm studying uh, an MSc part-time. We've just secured funding to buy some more machinery for our studio in Thirsk. So we're just always on the front foot. You know, I think as a business, we're always agile. You've got to really be, you know, fleet of foot. And I think that's kind of a testimony to the business, really, in terms of how we operate. You know, when you innovate, you've got to be completely on it and put both feet in. We've been around 15 years now, so we must be doing something right. And I think the idea is we're just going to carry on with what we're doing and just continue to grow the business and do some really great stuff. I've been asked to do a lecture at Hong Kong Design Institute later in the year, once the COVID thing's kind of calmed down. Kind of lots of really cool stuff. Sounds absolutely brilliant. And I know how hard you work. And I think you do, you know, when you're innovating, you do absolutely commit to, to your projects and you, you know, you work through a process, you do all the co-design, you actually practice all the things that you help other people to do as well. So it's a real pleasure talking to you and I've learned so much and I th you know I'm sure that you'll go on from strength to strength and if people would like to find out more about you or get in touch what's the best way Richard? There's various methods so our website is pd-m.com if you go onto the website you'll see our Instagram account if you look on LinkedIn you can probably find me Richard Hall FRSA or my email is richard at pd-m.com Brilliant. And I'll put all of those links and contact details into the show notes. Well, Richard, it's been brilliant having you on the show. Thank you so very much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this really sunny evening. Thanks and bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to the Idea Time Show, brought to you by Dr. Joe North. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and access more completely free resources at bigbangpartnership.co.uk forward slash resources. We'll see you next time.